Leukemia is a disease that long confused physicians. In 1845, a man named John Bennett, who was a Scottish physician, he began treating a patient with leukemia. And he was perplexed by what he saw because he observed a tumor in his patient that was cancerous, but also what he thought was a blood infection. See, for physicians living before the modern medical age, leukemia did look like a blood infection. But it puzzled physicians because they could never find a source for that infection. And as a result, they failed to treat leukemia in any meaningful way in their patients. They would just tend to give their patients a blood transfusion and then send their patients home to die. The discovery that leukemia was a cancer of the blood and not actually an infection, that it was a cancer of the blood and bone marrow and not an infection of the blood, that led to the revolutionizing not only of treatment for leukemia, but also the discovery of many other treatments for other cancers. It was important that they correctly diagnosed the disease that they were dealing with. You see, the right diagnosis is the only thing that leads to the right treatment and to life. So Christ said, you might be asking, why am I here? I'm not in a medical classroom. I'm not in a history classroom. Why am I hearing this stuff? Brandt, why do you share this with, why do you share this with us? Well, I share it with you this morning because John was concerned as he wrote this letter, 1 John. He was concerned that the churches he was writing to were in danger of missing out on flourishing life in Jesus. And he was worried that they were listening to false teachers who made the wrong diagnosis about our human condition. And as a result, they were prescribing the wrong uh, solution to the problem that they faced. And they were leading us not away, leading the people that John was writing to, not towards life, but actually away from flourishing life in Jesus. And friends, it's not that different today. Because even in our lives today in 2021 and the world in which we live, we have many voices speaking to us, many voices offering to describe the problems that we face in our lives. They're offering a description of what they think is wrong in your life and in my life, and then offering solutions then from that problem that they think will lead to true and flourishing life. But we have to ask ourselves, have they diagnosed the problem correctly? Will their solutions lead to the lives that we long for? This morning, I want to invite you to consider life and death from the perspective of the revealed word of God. As John begins to teach us what is necessary to flourish, what is necessary to have true, meaningful life together in fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the text that we're going to look at this morning is hard-hitting. It's counter-cultural to the extreme. But I'm praying that God would use his word, that he would work right now with the power of his Holy Spirit in our lives together to draw us away from death and towards life that is truly life. So our outline as we begin, we're going to look at the holiness of God, the problem of sin, and the good news of the gospel. So jump in with me right away, the holiness of God, and we're going to look at beginning at verse 5. John writes this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is the light, 
and in him is no darkness at all. You see, John and the other apostles who had seen and who had touched Jesus, they had heard in their lives together with Jesus as he was here on earth, they had heard a message. The message they heard from him was this, John says. The message was that God is light. What's John talking about then when he says God is light? That's fairly condensed and, and difficult to understand. Well, when John uses the word light... He isn't merely talking about light as opposed to darkness. He's not talking about flipping a switch on or off in a room. It's metaphorical. I think we can understand the metaphor of light actually by thinking about how real light does work in our own lives. Our experiences of bringing things into the light. For example... If you've ever brought something from the the depths of the darkness of maybe the basement in your house or a dark room in your house out onto the sidewalk or into the light of the the midsummer sun, you've realized that the thing you thought was clean wasn't nearly as clean as you thought it was. Or on the other hand, if you imagine a different kind of light, say a black light, and and just think about what it would be like to bring it on your next hotel stay, maybe in our post-COVID world. What would that black light reveal as you turn it on in your hotel room. John says, God is light. And what he's communicating is twofold. He's communicating that light is pure and that light reveals. John is saying that God is a God who is perfect. He's a God who's righteous, who's good. A God who is perfectly loving. A God who has no evil, no malice, nothing wrong or sinful in him of any kind. He's perfect goodness, so brilliantly clean and white and pure that simply being in his presence radically changes the perception about ourselves and the world in which we live in. And we could ask them, we could think to ourselves, what would it be like What would it be like to have God take a black light then and shine it on the hotel room of your soul? What would it be like to stand in the presence of God with your secret thoughts, with all of your hidden actions, with your ulterior motives exposed before him? We don't have to guess what it would be like. We can read about it in the Bible. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, 1 to 5, he describes how he once stood in the brilliant light of God's perfections. He writes this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Christ City cries of, woe is me. Falling on your face before the presence of a perfect and holy God. These are the normal and the usual experiences of human beings who encounter God in the story of the Bible. They come into his presence and they're blown away by his majesty and purity and beauty. And they tremble in awe. It's worth asking then, I think, how is this God is light thing, good news, if coming into his presence exposes our sin and causes us to cry out with Isaiah, woe are we. It sounds terrifying. Well, it's good news because we need to know that there is no life in the darkness. Life Flourishing life, the life we long for, is found only in the light of God. See, the good news of the gospel is that God is light. He's light, but he's acted in his mercy and compassion and love to enter into our darkness through Jesus Christ, to rescue us from the darkness and to draw us into fellowship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living together with him in his light. This is the message John says. God is light. And it's at this point where John then corrects the church because if God is light, then that has implications for how we live. Look at verse 6. John writes, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In this verse, John warns the church. He warns them clearly. He says, if you think, if you think you can maintain a lifestyle of sin, if you think that you can live simultaneously in fellowship with God while entertaining and cultivating and making room for and enduring and allowing sin to be in your life, if you, you, if you think you can do that and have the true life of fellowship with God that is promised in Scripture, the God who is light, then you are wrong. You lie. You're deceiving yourselves. If you think you can maintain a lifestyle of sin and experience the life of fellowship with God who is is light, you are living a lie. John says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Notice this, in order to correct the churches that he wrote to, John didn't begin by offering more information about who they were. John didn't begin by offering them a course in self-actualization or self-understanding so they could have life. No, John began teaching them about life by teaching them about God. And he did this because if we see that God is light, we will begin to diagnose our malady and our problem correctly. Look with me at our second point, the problem of sin, and verses 8 and 10. John says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The situation John was facing was that the false teachers were infiltrating the churches into Asia Minor with a counterfeit message of life and a false diagnosis of our human problem. They taught that they weren't really sinful despite appearances. They excused their sinfulness. They explained it away in a variety of ways. And John confronted them and said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He said, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, Christ said, the story of the Bible from beginning to end is remarkably honest about the sin of humanity. Like many of you, I've been reading now in 2021, beginning January 1st, and a new Bible plan. I've been spending a lot of time in Genesis, and I've been struck again and again and again by how honest the Bible is about human sin. The story starts this beautiful place, all is well, flourishing life is there as Adam and Eve exist in fellowship with God in the garden. But as they turn away from God, as they turn away from trust and relationship in him, as they trust themselves and their own perceptions of what will bring them flourishing life, they descend further and further into darkness and despair. The story gets more and more bleak as the chapters roll on in Genesis, as Cain kills Abel, as Lamech boasts that he's 70 times more violent than Cain. So read about the flood and the way that God is grieved by a world that is full of violence and oppression and sin and evil. Read about Lot's daughters getting him drunk so that they can have his children. Reading about Abraham as he gives his wife away twice to save his own skin. Reading about Jacob's family and seeing that his family is this nightmare of jealous wives and murderous and lustful sons. But there's a point to all of this honesty. Because the honesty paints a clear picture about who we truly are as human beings. Sinful and broken and corrupt. When we stop and take our eyes off of the pages of Genesis and just reflect on our own families, immediate and extended, we realize our families aren't that different. The skeletons are in our closets too. And this honest story, it paints a clear picture then of who God is against the backdrop of sin. It shows a picture of a gracious and loving God who's patiently at work through tremendously sinful people to save and to rescue and to redeem us from the darkness. See, the false teachers that John was facing, they denied a biblical perspective on human sin. And I think we do the same thing. On the one hand, we deny our sin by redefining it. We think if we won't change our behavior, if we can't change our behavior, if we don't think we can adjust our behavior, then we'll just change the definitions. We're like those that Isaiah said, called good evil and evil good. Or I think we can deny our sin in a different way too. We can deny our sin, deny that we are sinful by making excuses for our sin, by blame shifting. We say, yeah, 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 I did do that thing, but you need to realize that I'm not responsible. I'm not the one who's culpable. 
It's my circumstances or my relationships or my psychology or my physiology. Those things must be held accountable for my decisions and not me. I mean, I get it. I blame shift too. You can just ask my wife. When we get into a conflict, I think my typical and usual thing to do is to try to put the blame on her. And if that's not working, it's to try to shift the focus from the things that I've done and move the focus to the things that she's done. I want to avoid the truth of my sinfulness. But the truth of the Bible is unrelenting no matter how much we deny our sin. The Bible is clear and it says you are sinful. You are the one who is responsible for your sins. You're the one who is responsible and accountable to God for the things that you've done, the desires of your heart, and the motivations that you cherish. No one else. John writes clearly, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You and I are sinful. And that creates this incredible problem. Because God and sin do not mix. Light and darkness do not exist together simultaneously. But whoever bleak and terrible it might feel to hear this, no matter how counterintuitive it might seem, if we begin to accept God's description of reality, if we accept his diagnosis that we are in fact sinful, then there is the beginning of reasons to hope. Accepting that leads to true hope in the gospel. I want you to turn with me now to our last point, the hope of the gospel. Look at verses 7 and 9. John writes this, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christ City, God is light. God is light, and John the Apostle, the disciple of Jesus, has seen him. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came to earth as light piercing the depths of our darkness in order to wage war on the darkness and to rescue us out of it and to bring us into his presence. And John the apostle says, I've seen him. I know him. He is light and he is life. And I'm proclaiming to you that there is good news for sinners who live in the dark. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christ City, you can be free. You can be forgiven. You need to know that Jesus came to rescue you from whatever is burdening you, whatever secret sins that you are afraid to ever acknowledge. Jesus is able to forgive and cleanse you. He's able to overwhelm you with his love, to drown out any shame by drawing you into his fellowship in love. 
He's a God who's come to save you. A God who desires to speak tender words of mercy to you, to speak to you words of affirmation saying, you are my beloved child. Come near. I love John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, where he says this same sort of thing when he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is the hope of the gospel message. And this can be true for you. If. If. Look at the first halves of verse 7 and 9. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. If we confess our sins. It's important to point out that walking in the light does not mean that you have to be perfect. That's good news for us. John is not saying, be perfect and God will love you. The good news about Jesus would not be good news if that was the message. Be perfect and then I will love and forgive you. That's not good news. And that's not what John is teaching. Now, walking in the light is held in contrast to hiding in the dark. John wrote in the gospel, in John 3, verse 20, he wrote about what hiding in the dark looks like. You can read that text. He says this, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. On the other hand, walking in the light means being honest about your sin. Not hiding from the light, but being honest about it. Coming into the light. Not covering your sin up, but uncovering it and coming before God and others in honesty and in confession. That's what John can say again in verse 9, filling out what he's talking about here. These words, he said, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. You see, true flourishing life, it starts with confession. It starts by moving out of the darkness and into the light of God. There's no other way. There's no other way. There's no other way. And Christ said, you need to know, I know how hard this feels. I've lived this. I've stayed up late into the night feeling sick over things that I've done, thoughts that I've had, desires that I've wrestled with, being terrified of talking to other people about them. The psalmist understands as well. The psalmist writes in Psalm 32, verses 3 to 4, these words, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Wrestling with the guilt and the shame of your sin, struggling to come to a place of confession is so difficult. Some of you have been hiding sin your whole life. Some of you have been burying things away that happened in your past that you'd rather die than bring out into the open. But I want to challenge you. Life flourishes with confession. Jesus can empower you to confess. 
He can empower you to confess because Jesus doesn't love you for who you pretend to be. Jesus can empower you to confess because Jesus doesn't love you because he's bought that false projection of yourself that you uphold for the eyes of others. He sees through it. In spite of all that you've really done, thought, wanted, and planned, he loves you. You don't need to hide from him. Christ City, by confessing your sin, a little bit of you will die. Confession feels like death. It's death to ourselves, death to our pride. But dying to yourself when you're pride and confessing sin just means that you'll have more of Jesus. That's an easy choice for for us to make. It ought to be an easy choice for us to make. Death to self and to pride. Death to, to life that isn't life at all. In order to have more of Jesus and know more of his life and his love and his grace. Confession is the pathway to life that is really life. There's more in this text, though, because John writes something very interesting in verse 7. He says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. He's talking about the way that when we confess our sins, not only does it draw us into real and true relationship with God, but it also moves us into true fellowship with one another. See, confession is a pathway to true fellowship with God and one another. There's a great quote about this that I I saw this week from Jared Wilson. He comments this on this verse. He says, One connection we do not often make is how walking in the light is connected to having fellowship with one another. The connection is this. If we are not willing to step into the truth of confession and repentance, faithfulness, and the humility all that entails, no one can be in a real relationship with the real us. The less we are in the light, the less the true us is known. Whole relationships carry on in the dark sometimes, especially in churches where everyone is in relationship with everybody else's projected version of themselves with facades. Christ City, can I challenge you here? I want to challenge us to be a church in 2021 that moves more and more into authenticity. More and more into vulnerability in the gospel, knowing that Jesus has loved us. Therefore, we can dare to be open and vulnerable with one another. Next time you share a prayer request, let me encourage you, share an honest one. In faith, trust the power of the gospel and live vulnerably before one another because it is the pathway to increasing life and fellowship. As we conclude, think about this. We have a problem. (laughs) I have a problem because in this world, our default is this. We want harm reduction, not repentance. We want comfort in the lifestyle of our choosing, not conformity to God's good purposes for us. We want a God who bows to our will, not a God to whom we must bow. We want a salvation where we can keep our pride, not the true life and humility of confession. But know this, there is no life there. 
It's the wrong diagnosis. But God's love is a love that begins with an accurate diagnosis. And though that accurate diagnosis is bleak, God is a good physician. He's a God whose love is greater than all our sin. He's a God who leaves the 99 behind in order to pursue us lost in the dark. And in love, catch us up in his arms and bring us back into fellowship with himself through Jesus, his son. And Tim Keller famously wrote about gospel love this way. I think we need to hear it as we conclude. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. Prairie City, come into the light of God's love. Confess your sin. Jesus is a Savior who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. And we're awed by a Bible that would speak so poignantly and clearly about our real need. That we are sinners in need of a gracious salvation from a holy God who is light. And we're awed that you sent Jesus, that he came in the flesh to rescue sinners like us, to die a death he did not deserve for sinners who deserved it to bring us forgiveness, to cleanse us from our sin and our guilt and our shame, to draw us into relationship with you, pure and white and holy covered in the blood of Jesus. So would you give us courage? Courage to trust that Jesus' blood is enough to forgive us. Courage to continue to repent. Courage to continue to repent and to confess our sin and to trust you day by day by day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.